0: Morning. I'd like to turn for you to turn with me to Acts chapter twenty-three. Uh, we're continuing our series in in the book of Acts. Um, we are just a little bit of background, and in your reading, you should have covered this this week. Uh, Paul is just finishing up his third missionary journey. He's come back to Jerusalem. He gives a report of what God is doing. this sort of what Kevin did for us. Uh, giving a report on, on what happened when he was on this journey. Especially what happened among the Gentiles. And, and during his time of reporting, Paul gets kicked out of the temple. There's a riot that ensues. Paul gets arrested and eventually has to appear before the, the chief priests and the council. And Paul makes this statement in Acts chapter 23, verse 1. It says that he looked straight at the Sanhedrin. In other words, um, you could interpret this as he gave them a, maybe a dirty look, but he looked at them and they knew he was serious. He looked at them and he said, my brothers. And remember, Paul probably knew a lot of these guys. He had uh, served with a lot of these guys. And, and he says, my brothers, my brothers. I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. Now, as I was doing my study, I got stuck here um, on verse 1. That's as far as I got. I I wondered what did Paul mean by when he said, "I, I have lived with good conscience. What is a conscience? And how does it work within me? And as I did more study, I realized Paul used this word a lot. Actually, he uses it about 30 times in, in the letters that he writes to the churches in, in the New Testament. And so obviously Paul thought that, that this was something pretty important for us to get to understand what a conscience is. Now, this word conscience is often misunderstood and abused and, and neglected. You know, if you've watched Pinocchio, you know that Jiminy Cricket served as Pinocchio's conscience, and he would always sing, let your conscience be your guide. But the reality is, our conscience can mislead us. It can play tricks on us. So you may ask the question, well, so what, what is a Conscience? Well, Baker's encyclopedia says it is a self-awareness that judges whether or not an act one has carried out or plans to carry out is in harmony with one's moral standard. The Eastern Bible Common Dictionary says it is an inborn sense of right and wrong by which we judge the moral character of the human conduct. Now, the conscience doesn't set the moral standard. The conscience follows the standard that has been set. And God has given every human a general revelation. Everyone knows right from wrong. Is that correct? You know, a child at, at a young age, when they disobey or when they do something they shouldn't, when they break something, they know they've done wrong because they have been born with this, with this instinct of, of right and wrong. Although we are born sinners, we have an understanding that there is right and wrong. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Paul addresses, he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from the heavens against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what be, may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. or since the creation of the world, God's invisible visible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen. So we see that, that God has placed within every human being this thing of right and wrong. You know, I often have, have wondered, so, so how, what keeps this world just from, from going completely haywire and being out of control? It's our conscience. It's what God has placed within us. But if we're not careful, we lose our ability to distinguish between right and wrong as our conscience gets seared. And, and in verse 26 here of, of Romans chapter 1, Paul addresses that. He says, therefore, God gave them, in other words, as, as they continue to, to go against their conscience, it says that he gave them over to their sinful desires and, and their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies to one another. And he goes on and explains how it got out of control. But God has written his law on the hearts of even those who don't know him. In Romans chapter 2, it says that even the Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it even without having heard it. And, you know, we hear stories of, of, of finding people groups that, that have never, that, have never that, that are discovered where they have these standards within their villages that somehow follow what, what God's word says. How did they get that? Well, it's been Im- embedded in them. You see, God sets limits, on human sin because he loves his creation and, and that's what the conscience is. And so, but, but then I ask, so what's the difference between the Holy Spirit and, and my conscience? Well, only those who receive Christ as their Savior have the Holy Spirit living within them. But every person has a conscience that distinguishes between right and wrong. As a follower of Christ, as a Christian, the Holy Spirit helps me to interpret the signals that the conscience sends. It reminds me, the Holy Spirit does, of biblical principles, of what God's Word said. The Holy Spirit draws me away from things that don't fit what I believe and what what the Bible has taught me. See, the function of the conscience is this. The function, it causes me to feel guilt and shame. You know, even before you are a believer, your conscience causes you to feel guilt when you do something wrong. When you sin, it causes you to feel guilt. Now, you remember in John chapter 8 when Jesus when the, the, the religious leaders brought a woman who had been caught in adultery to him, and they said, what should we do? The law says we're to stone her to death. So what are we going to do with this woman? Remember, Jesus got down on his knees and began to write, and, and then he asked this question. He says, he who has no sin, let him cast the first stone. Did anybody stone this woman? It says, no, slowly, one by one, with the older guys going first because they felt the most skilled, it says they walked away. It says they began one at a time, older ones first, until only Jesus was left with this woman still standing there. they ask her, where are they? Has no one condemned you? The reason nobody condemned her was because they all felt guilt. Their conscience convicted them of their own sinfulness. And that's how our conscience works. It helps us to discern. It causes guilt and shame when we sin. It also warns us when we contemplate doing wrong, even when we think about doing wrong, so, so when, when you get your phone out and, and you're contemplating going places that you shouldn't go on your phone or on your computer, your conscience creates guilt and, and, and says, you know, you really shouldn't go there. What you're thinking about doing is wrong. So our conscience even, even will will help us to discern what we're thinking about and contemplating wrongdoing. It convicts us of that. Our conscience also approves when we do what we believe to be right. But what we have to be careful of is depending on how we've been feeding our conscience we can can train it into, into thinking that we're doing something right when, when we really aren't. Remember Paul in Acts chapter 26 verse 9 says this. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Paul believed with all of his heart and with all of his conviction that persecuting Christians, killing Christians was the right thing to do. And his conscience was not um, convicted because he had taught himself, he had conditioned his conscience to believe that this was right. That that persecuting Christians was was the right thing to do. So we have to be careful. Because our conscience can mislead us if we feed it the wrong things because it functions on the basis of knowledge. You know, why can somebody that is Muslim believe that it is right to kill the infidel? Because that's what they've been conditioned to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 12 It says, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. And then Paul says, we have done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Paul's saying, look, our conscience testifies that our conduct in, in in the world, and especially in our relation with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. How? By the grace of God. Because we fed our conscience from the word. You see, reliability depends on the degree to which God's word has been implanted into your conscience. And if we don't continually fill ourselves with God's word, our conscience begins to become skewed. See, our conscience can, we can have a weak conscience because we're not feeding it with the word and and we're doing things possibly that that we shouldn't be doing and and it makes for a a weak conscience. And as our conscience becomes weaker and weaker, it also can become defiled. Titus 1.15 says, to the pure, all things are pure. To those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. That's a defiled conscience. In fact, both their minds and their conscience are corrupted. They claim to know God, but their actions deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. See, and slowly but, but surely, there, there, there is this um, eroding of our conscience... And eventually, our, our conscience will become evil. As it becomes weak and defiled, it, it will actually become evil. And then it, it becomes seared or it becomes numb. First Timothy chapter 4. Verse 1, it says, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience have been seared as a hot iron. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever been branded, but when you brand a calf, the, the, the nerves die, they become dead, and so, so there is no feeling there. If you have a big scar on your arm, if you poke that, there's no feeling. You can take a pin and you can poke it, there's no feeling. There's nothing there. It doesn't sense anything. And th- that's what a seared conscience is. It, it, becomes, it becomes deadened. And so, so a seared conscience can't be pricked or poked by God's word. Nothing changes it. And, and, and it, it just becomes completely um, numb to, to anything. And, and so, so eventually nothing is too bad for a seared conscience. In Romans chapter 1, that's what it's talking about. People with, with, with seared conscience. They have no limits. And so if your conscience has no limits, it can no longer make right moral assessments on your action. And that's what we see in the world today. People with seared conscience that, that, that nothing is too bad. That there are no parameters for evil and sin and wickedness. And so what people with seared conscience do, they, they justify what they're doing. In the gay and lesbian community, their conscience has become seared. They've been given over to a reprobate mind and, and so what they do is rather than be convicted by their lifestyle is they justify it. And you know, maybe you're sitting there this morning and, and, and your conscience has come to the point where, where it's seared, where, where nothing that I say or nothing that, that is read um, convicts you and you're living far from God, I pray that that the Holy Spirit would begin to work on you and draw you to himself and begin to, to make your conscience sensitive again to right and wrong. You see, if we have a defiled, weak, and evil conscience, Nothing is too bad. So for a long time, the Apostle Paul had a seared conscience. His conscience was was messed up. And that's why he could do the things that he did to followers of Christ. His conscience was telling him that what he was doing was okay. When it really wasn't. But here Paul says that he lives with a clear conscience. In, in in Acts chapter 24, he says he lives with a clear conscience. So so what changed about the Apostle Paul? Well, the Apostle Paul had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, if you remember. And and when Jesus came and 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 transform Paul, Paul's conscience was also transformed. And when Paul became transformed, when his conscience became transformed, his desire was to please God. He wanted a conscience that, that didn't offend God. In, in Acts 24, verse 16, he says, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. So Paul worked hard from the time he was saved. Paul worked hard to study and to spend time with the Lord so that his conscience would be clear before God. <clears throat> because our conscience can be pure as we spend time with the Lord, as we spend time in his word, desiring to become more like him? How much time do you spend feeding your soul, feeding your conscience with God's word? Paul in 1 Timothy, when he's talking about the responsibility of a deacon, he says they must keep hold of the deep truths of faith with a clear conscience. You see, the cleansing of your conscience can only happen through the blood of Jesus Christ. Has your conscience been cleansed by Jesus Christ? First John 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, I know I am throwing a ton of scripture at you this morning and I hope you're writing it down uh, but, but this is such an, an incredibly important thing for us to understand. I mean we can't let our conscience become weak we can't let our conscience become defiled we can't let it we can't let it become seared because it is what directs us and we have to understand this we have to understand that it is important to train our conscience with the knowledge of the word of god you know, Dan talked about that this last week. The reason that you can get on your phone or or you can get on the internet and go to sites that you shouldn't go to is because your conscience is weak, because you're not feeding it, you're not taking care of it. And so, so it becomes easier and easier to do these things. The reason is it's easy, it becomes easier to, to be in a wrong relationship with someone In an inappropriate relationship, it's because your conscience is weak and and you haven't been feeding it and caring for it, and so it becomes weak. You see, when you feed it and you take care of it, it becomes more and more sensitive to what is right and wrong, and, and we're not taking care of them the way we should. You've got to take care of it, you've got to be in the Word got to be in the word you have to learn from the word you have to live the word the commands that are within it you have to grow in your faith you have to serve we've got to care for it We've got to protect it. The things that defile your conscience are things like apathy. and that's the thing that, that probably you sense in the Christian community more than anything else is this thing of apathy, lack of caring, having other things that are more important than, than a relationship with Jesus. We could care less. Other things are more important. James says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, it is sin. You guys and girls, you know what to do. You know what is right. You know what, is, what, what you've been taught. And yet if you don't do them, James says, it's sin. We need to do what we know is right. And we need to do what we know is right, even if it causes suffering. Look, when we stand up for what is right, when we stand up for what God commands us to do, people will question us. When we say that marriage is to be between one man and one woman for life, The world doesn't agree. The world will persecute us. The world will tell us that we're narrow-minded. 1 Peter 2.19 says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. And young people, when you stand up for what is right, when you choose To do what is right in your school, you will suffer. People will laugh at you. People will make fun of you. But Peter says that's commendable. Peter also says in in chapter 3, he says, Keep a clear conscience so that even those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander." So we got to get away from an apathetic spirit. and, And we have to get away from false doctrine. False doctrine, ladies and gentlemen, is creeping in on the church. And if we're not in the word, we can't discern what is right and what is wrong. You want a seared conscience. Allow yourself to be. Lied to by false doctrine. And then the last thing is willful sin. Allowing yourself to sin in spite of knowing that what you're doing is wrong. Watching that TV show that you know is immoral. Week after week after week after week. Eventually our conscience get seared. Defiled. And man, we're watching stuff that we should not be watching. We're playing video games that we should not be playing. That goes against everything that the word says. That goes against everything that we believe and yet we play it and we watch it over and over and over. And when we allow that to come into our homes, that's willful sin. That's willful sin. That makes for a weak conscience. And that's why we're at where we're at today in our society is because we have let people tell us what's okay. And I, you know what, I am guilty of, of watching sitcoms that are absolutely, most of them, All kinds of immorality. And yet we watch them and we laugh. We laugh at sin. And slowly things become okay. We have to protect our conscience. We have to have this desire to live as men and women of God. Our conscience is a valuable Thing that we have and when properly cared for, it will help us to avoid sin and to do what is right. If we train it up in the word of God and we protect it by not violating it, then we as Paul can say that I keep my conscience clear before God and man. And I believe when Paul in Second Timothy, and turn there with me, this is, I'd like to close with a 2 Timothy chapter 4. So when Paul says this, I believe Paul, because he lived a life desiring to please God, desiring to live with a clear conscience, was able to say this. At the end of his life, he says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time of my departure is near. He's coming to the end of life. And as he looks back and reflects on his life, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on the day. And not only me, but also all those who long for his appearing. That's us. That's my desire. That when I get to the end of my life, I can look back and say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have have kept a clear conscience. I have served the Lord. I am ready to meet him. I have no regrets. I want to live my life with, with no regrets. I want to live my life for his glory. And I hope you want to do the same. Father, this morning as we come before you and we realize just how this world is a a tough place to live. Father, give us strength and wisdom to live our lives with, with much integrity, to live our lives without regret. Father, may we desire your word may we allow your word to fill us and to change us and to guide and to direct us may our conscience be healthy and 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 may they may they from your word show us our sin convict us of sin even before we do them, even as we're thinking about them. Father, may we care for ourselves. May our lives reflect your glory. Lord, may we, um, I just pray that every person here would live their life without regret and for your glory. It's in Christ's name that we pray, Amen.